0: Well, good morning. My daughter, Aoife, who you just got to see, is going through this wonderful phase of childhood right now where everything that is unexpected, creative, and interesting captures her attention. She was probably thrilled. There were only three of them up here this morning. Every day, it seems she is on the lookout for something that will surprise her and make her have to go out and investigate it to find out what it is and even how it works. If it's simple, she's not really interested. She wants to be challenged, and she wants to dig in and go deeper. This Christmas, after watching a magician, probably for the first time on television, Aoife decided she wanted a magic kit for Christmas so that she could learn some magic tricks and figure them out herself. And after seeing the Nutcracker for the first time last month, she immediately decided that she wanted to take ballet classes so she could learn how to dance the way she'd seen those wonderful ballerinas dance at on the stage of the Times Union Center. Will she ever be a magician or a ballerina? Well, she's seven right now, so I don't know. But she certainly wants to learn and give everything interesting try right now. In much the same way, Aoife has started to occasionally ask for Meyer Audrey's cell phone so that she can look up and find images and paintings that are optical illusions, where the image that you can see from a distance changes as you look at it closer and examine it. She loves the kind of images that might, on first glance, look like the face of an old man But when you examine the image more closely, you suddenly realize that what you thought was a face is actually being formed by the image of a young woman who's reading a book, sitting on a bench underneath a rounded doorway. Through images like this and so much more, I am getting to watch my seven-year-old learn quickly that sometimes if you just look a little closer and take time to investigate, you might just find the unexpected picture within a picture and the deeper meaning you otherwise would have missed entirely. And even though it isn't exactly meant to be an optical illusion or to purposefully hide its meaning in plain view, if we are to read the Bible and really understand its message, we often need to look closer ourselves, to dig a little deeper into the text, to peel back its many rich layers, to arrive at its full meaning and direction for us as Christians. In the case of the Gospel of John, where this morning's gospel reading is found, there is perhaps no other text that challenges the reader more to explore and investigate all its deeper meanings to find its signposts. The great Anglican bishop and biblical scholar N.T. Wright describes it like this. John's gospel is planned as a kind of treasure hunt, Bishop Wright writes, with careful and sometimes cryptic clues laid out for us to follow. Well, I think Bishop Wright is certainly correct about a treasure hunt in the gospel of John, especially when it comes to the gospel reading assigned for this second Sunday after the Epiphany. This morning's text from John's Gospel is the story of Jesus' very first miracle or sign. Before we arrive at these opening verses in the second chapter, John has first given us the wonderful prologue to the Gospel to get us started, connecting Jesus to the very beginning of creation, where he was the Word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. After that great prologue, the Gospel writer moves us quickly through Jesus' earthly appearance before John the Baptist, who identifies Jesus as the one who John proclaimed is greater than he, the one who is the Lamb of God, on whom the Spirit has descended like a dove. From there, Jesus begins to call up in that first chapter his disciples. Finally arriving this morning... And what the gospel says is the third day when a miracle will take place and begin the revelation of Jesus to the world. And that first miracle on the third day will happen at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. Now, from the very first verse, the deep meaning of what is to occur through the life and ministry of Jesus is set before us, I think, clearly. It will be the first treasure. Revealing who Jesus is and what he has come to do. If we know to peel back the layers and look at it more closely. For it is not an accident that the gospel writer tells us that the first miracle happens on the third day. We as Christians should recognize immediately the third day will of course come again. For us at the end of John's gospel when it will be on the third day that the final revelatory miracle of Jesus occurs when Jesus defeats death and walks out of that tomb alive on Easter morning. From only the second chapter of his gospel, John wants us to recognize the very first miracle of Jesus is already being connected to the very last. It is already the signpost that is pointing us the resurrection. And for the Jewish readers of this gospel 2,000 years ago, the fact that the very first miracle of Jesus begins at a wedding party would have carried with it just as deep a layer of meaning as that third day carries for us as Christians now. Throughout the Old Testament, the relationship of God to God's people Israel is always strongly symbolized in the prophets And in the psalms and in the song of songs, by the joy, celebration, love and communion of a wedding feast between a bride and the bridegroom. In our first reading this morning in the prophet Isaiah, the prophet proclaims the word of God to God's chosen people by saying this. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for as a young man marries a young woman so shall your builder marry you and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride so shall your god rejoice over you this brothers and sisters is always the intended relationship of the creator with the created for humanity with divinity and so it is that jesus first allows his presence to be miraculously revealed to the world at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. But as we immediately discover, the wedding Jesus has been invited to is in distress while he's there because the wedding is about to run out of the most important purveyor and symbol of its joy and celebration. It's about to run out of a good bottle of wine. The times certainly have not changed all that much 2,000 years later. Drinks are still very important for any good party today. We Episcopalians certainly know that. But for a Jewish wedding in the time of Jesus, the party could literally not go on if the wedding celebration did not provide wine. Of course, in this morning's story, we need to remember that wine is never just a party beverage when it shows up in the Bible. Wine is also an important symbol of the spiritual world. The joy, the exaltation, the elevation, and the intoxication of relationship with God is described throughout Scripture as the best and choicest of fine wines that are given to God's people at the divine banquet. Jesus will use wine as his own symbol of divine relationship throughout his ministry and teachings all the way up to the Last Supper. When the wine that is poured out and given to his followers will soon become his own blood. So here on the third day at a wedding feast that Jesus has been invited to, a wedding that itself symbolizes God's marriage covenant to God's people, the wine meant to be the life of the party which also symbolizes the elevation of the physical human to the spiritual divine, the gospel said, has gave out and gone dry. This bad news comes to Jesus from the observation and the intervention of his blessed mother, who as the theotokos, the God-bearer, is the very person who has given blood and humanity to Jesus and in doing so has made Jesus himself a fellow Israelite. Mary in the Gospel of Luke will become the voice of Israel, echoing the words of the Hebrew prophets before her in that wonderful song we now call the Magnificat. And so this morning, it will be Mary, the new first woman, as Jesus will identify her, who will intercede for the people of Israel, telling Jesus that the people have run out of wine. Mary will then be a mother for all, By giving those who serve at the wedding the important direction that they must, from this time forward, do whatever it is that Jesus is going to tell them to do. With that, the gospel writer tells us Jesus looks around and finds six empty water jars, six and not seven. Because the seventh jar, if you're willing to dig in a little deeper, is standing right there next to Jesus. It is Jesus's mother and the womb from which Jesus himself was born. That is the only vessel of the Jewish purification rite that is still full. For the other six that are there, the gospel reveals, are completely dried out and no longer prepared for the ritual of purification. But Jesus tells the servants if they will follow his direction and fill up the jars with water, Jesus will do the rest. And from those six jars filled to the brim by servants, the steward of the wedding will taste and declare to the bridegroom, everyone serves the good wine first, but you have kept the good wine until now. All of this, brothers and sisters, is the great revelation of exactly who Jesus is and what he has come to do for Israel and for all of God's creation. Jesus has come to take the water that fills us up as fallen humanity and then transform and restore that water to the spiritual wine that elevates us up to God. Jesus comes because he knows that his people are running dry. The spirit is leaving them. They have become the very dry bones the prophet Ezekiel prophesied all those years before. And Jesus will make those bones live again by transforming the water they need to hydrate them physically into the wine and the blood they need to lift them back up to God again spiritually. Yes, we all love this story of Jesus going to a party. turning water into wine. But just like those illusory images my daughter Ifa is so into and excited to investigate right now, this great first miracle of Jesus, when we look closer and read into it more deeply, reveals to us so, so much more. Nothing less than the very meaning of everything that comes afterward, all the way up to the final third day when Jesus will defeat cruel death forever by his Easter resurrection. Now, you may find yourself listening to all of this and saying to yourself, well, that's all good and fine, Father Donovan. Thanks for unpacking all those 11 verses of the Gospel of John. But really, what does all of this stuff have to do with our own life right now? If that's in your mind, that's okay. You may be asking, what does Jesus turning water into wine 2,000 years ago have to deal with all of us dealing yet again with another round of this pandemic? What's it got to do with rising gas prices and inflation and all the violence and anger and division in our country or maybe even in our own families? What does the message of this first miracle of Jesus have to do with me right now? Well, brothers and sisters, we have to remember That the good news right now is still happening in that a mother of Jesus is still standing next to him and continuing to say over and over again, on our behalf, look, your people are running out of wine. The good news each and every day is that all the saints who you remember who've gone before us are still interceding for us, inviting Jesus to reach down again and transform the waters of this world, the waters you face that are muddy and messy and dark into new spiritual wine that will fill us up again and restore us, reminding us that we are above everything this world throws at us, children of God first. Jesus's first miracle began again, the wedding of God with humanity. And all we need to do to have the rough, turbulent waters of this life turned into the richest and choicest of wines is, as Jesus' blessed mother said 2,000 years ago, to simply follow her son and do whatever Jesus tells us to do. Brothers and sisters, the glorious wedding banquet is still open. That transforming spiritual wine is still waiting for each of us come forward to the altar this morning and taste and see that the Lord is good. And then take up your cross and follow him. Amen.